0: This is I want to praise you, featuring comedian Jeff Giant, talk show host Halpern Hill, and Dr. Milton Brown. Praise is what I do, real. and this is I want it's to praise you. It's, it's, it's about to get real. It's about to
1: get real. It's about to get real. All, all get real. my best people, record to the dance floor. All my best people, record to the dance floor. All my best people. Report to the dance floor uh, I don't
2: know it What you about to learn? All the best people
1: Report to the dance floor All my best people Report to the dance floor All my best people to the dance floor. Step, 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 step up. Back, stand still. Matter of fact, shout. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Step up. Back, still. Matter of fact, shout. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Turn it out to the right. Uh huh. Clap, clap. Step up and watch God. Step back and watch God. Turn it out to the left. Uh huh. Clap, clap. It's a new direction. a brand new blessing. Step up. Back, still. Matter of fact, shout. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Step up. Step still, matter of Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Turn it out to the right, uh huh. Clap, clap, step up and watch God. Step back and watch God. Turn it out to the left, uh huh. Clap, clap, it's a new direction. Step up, back, stand still, matter of Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Step up, back, stand still, matter of Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Turn it out to the right, uh huh. Clap, clap, step up and watch God. Just look at me. Just look at me. Don't hate, take it up with God. He did Just look at me. at Just look at me. Don't hate, take it up with God. Just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. Don't hate, take it up with God. He did it. Just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. Now stop Humble is the way, stay low. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you.
3: Praises go up,
1: the blessings come back down. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you. The lower you get, the more God's gonna bless you. Step, 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 step up. Back stand still, matter of fact. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Step up, back stand still, matter of fact. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Turn it out to the right, uh huh. Clap, clap. Step up and watch God. Step back and watch God. Turn it out to the left, uh huh. Clap, clap. It's in the direction, of the brand new blessing. Up, back then, still, matter of fact. Everywhere you look, you got a blessing on the way. Up, back then, still, matter. I yeah. Turn it to
3: the right now. Uh, it the right Turn That's grace in my up up and it's chasing me. Look out. That's grace in my sign and it's chasing me. Look out. That's grace in my side and it's chasing me. Look out. That's grace in my sign. It's me. Oh, it's so crazy,
4: i blessed I am It makes me wanna drop a tear There's only one way to explain God wanted me here All my blessings, they come from you All these blessings, they come from you All my blessings, they come from you I give praises where praises do It's so crazy, i blessed I am It's so crazy, i blessed I am It's so crazy how blessed I am. It's so crazy how blessed I am.
3: and nephews <laughs> gotta mess
0: Shining the light on Uncle Tommy Uncle Tommy, who was Uncle Tommy? His name is Tommy Ritchie He eventually became an air traffic controller He was in the Air Force He was an officer and a gentleman And he was my uncle He was the first person in our family to go to Oakwood Academy So we're going to celebrate him and shine the light on him This week on this edition of I want to praise you So get ready This is going to be An interesting story My name is Darren Florence
3: Ladies and gentlemen You are now tuning
5: into To the rare message You are truly Jazzy Fizzle A.K.A. Jazzy Fizzle Burgundy Obama Luther King Jr. Jackson
3: five first And this Jazzy. is New Skate New Sunday on Sundays
5: Sunday, man. I hope y'all loved it. Next week is going digital again. We gonna skate the
6: death. No, we ain't skating next week. I think this was it. I, I don't know. looking over my yearbook yeah.
7: from uh, when I was down there and reminiscing.
0: Nice, nice. So let me say this: when I was a kid, I could always tell when you were getting ready to come to town because Granny would always be making something special namely a sweet potato pie or a pound cake. Tommy's coming to town and I would get excited because it's always somebody in your family that stands out like you know Butchie was funny, Dwight was who he was, but Uncle Tommy he has always had been clean cut with a, a uniform on looking like a general. Tall, dark, and handsome, and, and and one of the biggest smiles that I ever seen on anybody. And so, as a young kid, I always was attracted. Like that's my uncle. I, I'm gonna be like him when I grow up. So that was my per- first, you know, impression of you. So I just want you to know, me and my sister always looked up to you. And as a matter of fact, my sister is the one that said, "You know what? It's Black History Month. You need to." Uncle Tommy And have these Conversations To talk to him About going to Oakwood Academy And being in Germany and In the Army And air traffic Controller So I just Want to know Your side of The story That's basically It
7: Well I'm Flattered to death I'm blushing I guess From what you're Saying I I think you Know people Don't think of Themselves in the Same manner that Other people do And you know, it's, it's very
0: nice what you're saying. I, you know, it's it's just like you're talking about somebody else. It's a thing in our family that you know that we're family. Um, the first time I ever rode in a Cadillac was with Dad of Richie, <laughs> which is my great-grandfather. And, um, you know, he always had a Fleetwood, a black one or a white one. I don't remember what color it was, but I remember you having an Eldorado and some Harleys, but... We're a car family. These are the type of things that just stuck out in my mind. And so, you know... I
7: got to ask you reference, what you said the other day about going around with him. You said something about going and playing checkers that he went... Did he play checkers when you
0: were a kid? Yes. Um, He would go play checkers with... it. He would go to the... He would put me in the back of the car every day when he had errands to run and he would go to the barber shop or where you know get something to eat go do stuff for mama Richie and um, so i would be his oh, wingman and sometimes he month we still in this thing knee deep like George Clinton understand me and uh one thing about life and two things for sure it is officially all-star weekend live from Cleveland Ohio Man, oh
8: yeah,
5: in Cleveland
0: are you excited you know about it say? are you excited about it at all
5: oh I'm very excited I hope they got their face condoms on <laughs> double
0: up yeah. Double
5: up with your face condom
0: Stay protected at all times And you got to explain whether well it's face condom Because Dr. Milton Brown Has come up with the term Face condom as mass They better get all
5: their shots
0: for that They got to get their shots Their vaccinations And make sure Kyrie don't play too Since he don't want to play No other time But that's a whole nother conversation Man tell me about Some of these young guns Coming up Through the all-star game Because Because, you know, John Morant is one of my favorite players. But there's one other person that I'm loving more than John Morant. Can you guess who that is? Oh, let me see.
5: One other
0: person, more than John
5: Morant. Is
0: he a board or a center? He is a guard. He's a guard? not the little boy from Cleveland. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. That's not
5: (laughs) it. I'm going to give you one more chance. Oh, Atlanta Hawks. Come on. Atlanta, huh? Come Let's on a half and
0: half. From, from, from Oklahoma. Hey man That's our own Let's Steph try, Curry try, tray, Ice Trey Ice Trey He gonna shiver I on you He try. gonna hit the three And hit them shoulders boy He gonna put them you, shoulders on. You
5: know I know I, oh, tray. Ice
0: Trey Ice Trey Young That's Come right on, baby man. That's right man Come on now I love I love I love them Hawks Them Hawks is doing good Shout out to them Hawks and, I know uh, what Stray by now cut
5: his hair Because it
0: ain't gonna Ever grow back That little tent Stuff on his head Yeah he got oh. He got that uh, he, he got a sunroof Opening on the top Of his <laughs> head I'm melting Stop
5: running Stop running I'm melting I'm melting I thought I said Dribble backwards
0: Stray right? Dribble backwards Hey, But his shot is wet though We gonna keep it wet Hey listen man You gotta tell me about Speaking about basketball You know we went to HBCU Oakwood University a Historically black college and university But we also had a high school On our campus called Oakwood Academy And That's you right. said we got an issue On the basketball squad So I want you to explain to The people what's going on uh, Let
5: me tell you what's happening this is the first year that Oakwood Academy finally after almost 40 years of we playing ball against the college playing ball against grown men we finally got into the league his name was Melvin Allen was the coach Melvin Allen Allen was the coach of the academy and he put them into a regular high school basketball association come on now yes and then the boys they went and won their division
0: come on so now come on. come on come yes. on mustangs tell them what they the mustangs, mustangs.
5: <laughs> yes. so they go to jack state to play for the championship for their division i think it's like 2a or 3a is and um so uh what happened was that they to me at 4 30 saturday
0: oh oh hold on. You know the Sabbath. We, the can't, we can't, look we can't. Can. <laughs> okay, go look ahead. At
5: Jesus. Now, this is where the witnesses come in. Now, here we are. We don't have to uh, uh, give them the seven, 700 beliefs of Adventism. All we did was say, you know what? Uh, for our religious beliefs and convictions, that, the, and, and they it was on the news, Channel 48 picked the, the story up. Oh, wow. It said that, we have a team here that their religious convictions saying, letting them to can't play at 4.30. They have to play at 5.30 or later. The other team ahead of them said, hey, they could take our slot at 7.30 and play. Guess what? The association came back and said, no. No, they have to oh,
9: stay at the man.
5: got us down. So, the whole, you know, I look like we may be losing. It still ain't time yet. We don't know, but right
0: now. We're going to pray for the squad. We're going to pray for the squad and hope the Lord work it on out. We're gonna, you, but we know we can hoop. We've been hooping, but we've been going to places around the country, around the world, and just balling out for years. So we ain't got to prove nothing, but we do love basketball at Oakwood. University, a wonderful HBCU, and if you come up there we're going to shoot your lights out, tell them cuz
5: <laughs> that's, that's it, but this time we put a but look here, look at the witness that we did they, they knew all about us uh, about the Sabbath keeping and everything, we didn't have to do anything, so our young boys and being convicted to what we believe that spoke a lot and said a lot more than us trying to uh, uh fight it so we just got to sit back and relax and say hey if God if it's for us then it's going to be for us but if not we made a great run first time out come on man guess what cuz what since the COVID-19 we never we didn't have one home game they had to play all their games on the road
0: oh wow that's amazing
5: yeah and still
0: one. And still one. Well if God be us, Nobody could be against us Man let's get back yeah. To this music man Happy Black History Month Cuz uh, And I appreciate you As always man You know we gotta Get up out of here Get back to this music man Anything you uh, gotta say Before okay. we get out of here Before yeah, I say man, I, Peace one, one, uh, one, one story about uh Hush puppies uh, Back in the day
5: When the Negro slaves Was running away so they used to make hush puppies So when the dogs start chasing them Guess what they threw out there in the yard They used to
0: guess throw them hush puppies, puppies to the dogs So they'd be that's quiet And they couldn't catch them well, I know that story this, man Come on That's, so that's on. where they came
5: up with hush
0: puppies And the you still eating the them with, 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 with tartar sauce And just fish just and grits Man let's get back to this music i, I holler hey, at you Hey and was
5: the white man chasing after me I still
4: <laughs> eat it. So
0: he gonna by catch by you You still eating the fish Get up Look at Harriet Tubman said Keep going Keep okay. going I better put that you face condom on baby no Keep going <laughs> You
4: can't deny <laughs> Yeah
0: i holler at your name sweet
4: love you and there There's <laughs> nothing you could ever do About If you get off track Turn around and come right back Cause we love you and there there's nothing you could ever do about If you lose your way, you still got a place to stay So touch somebody find out that they understand When you tell them what you've been through Who you are, what you had to do Even when you hear them say That the God we serve has made a way You to lay your burden down Rest and make a joyful sound Because we love you There is nothing you could ever do Oh no About If you get off track Turn around and come back back Because we love you And there is nothing you could ever do About If you lose your way Still got a place to stay So hug somebody now Hold tight till you let it out Somebody's gonna stand right here And wipe away every tear And if you need a friend Don't you wait outside You can come on in But even if you take your time Don't rush It'll be alright because we Love you and there is nothing you could ever do about it If you get off track, turn around and come right back Because we love you and there is nothing you could ever do about it If you lose your weight, you still got a place to stay So just love, 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 no fear Follow me, let me just
7: When I was about eight years old is when the transition of becoming an Adventist happened. And once he became an Adventist, he never played checkers as long as I was a, a there, you know.
8: Oh. And
7: uh, I was surprised the other day when you mentioned that uh, he played checkers because, uh, you know, that was quite a shock to me.
0: Well, I mean, I know that he was an avid gambler before he became an Adventist.
7: Yeah, he was. But he was a very good... uh, See, they played what they call... uh, It's not the regular checkers that you probably perceive checkers to be. Uh, In black society especially, they played what they call pool checkers.
1: Oh.
7: And it's the the formal name is Spanish checkers. And it's an entirely different game than normal checkers. It's uh, it's sort of between checkers and and chess uh, checkers. When you mention it, like I said, he never played the whole time I was home. He you know he give it up. So he give up eating meat. He give up uh, all his gambling and and pool shooting. Oh, okay. And so when you mention that and playing checkers, uh, I was never aware of. Uh, you know, the whole time uh, of him playing checkers again. He was playing regular uh, that was a big thing, especially in black uh, and still is in black barbershop is a checkerboard. Uh it's maybe advanced now to a chessboard, but that was a big thing. See black barbershops was kinda of the hub of uh of uh just the hub of black society as far as uh, uh the the daily
0: guys you know the individual people
7: right so go ahead let's talk about all this other stuff that you want
0: to talk about all right well let's start from the beginning let's start in brighton that's 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 this far as back as i i remember and i know all right well what do you want to talk about brighton well we dad richie which is my great grandfather obviously he had they had a dairy farm out there and um I just want you to tell me about your experiences out there and how you ended up at Oakwood.
7: What happened, how we ended up in Brighton, uh, it was uh, during the war, at the end of the war and during the war, uh, our family was very successful. as as, uh, uh, As far as making money, and was and we were very middle class as far as black um, society and so uh they were very at that time it was a, a, a kind of a what happened was the church was a very strong part of their life the family at that time and the church kind of advocated um the time of the inn and kind of separating you know out in the country and stuff like that that was kind of pervasive with the church and so uh our family had had uh, had a lot of property in Denver at the time at, and we had about six or seven different properties. We had a property on Walton Street, a property on Curtis Street, a property on Emerson Street, we had property in Glowville, we had property in Golden, property in Wheatbridge. Mm. And if this coming-of-the-end church thing, they wanted to get the kids, which was the Rices and the Richie kid, me, out of the city. And they sold all these properties, and Sister Wright, she had a big house up on Emerson. And, you know, with the property at that time, had they kept the property, I mean, they would have been multimillionaires because of the location of all these different properties. But anyway... They decided to sell everything and get you at first, and uh, they bought this dairy farm. Now, you know, you dairy is twenty-four hour or twenty-four hour a day, seven days a week endeavor, and to go into something like that totally blind, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, in the wintertime, time, you know, the snow and stuff and and feeding cows, and they really had no preparation, no idea, no notice just going out and buying a bunch of cows, and, mm. and it was the worst mistake as far as uh, financially that they could have possibly, you know, with no research, just wow, this is a nice thing, you know, not taking into consideration, you know, of any history of, of how to run a dairy farm, you know, that you know, the cows have diseases. You have to take into consideration how much hay is required. And you have to go through all the things, the winter time when the days are short and, and uh, uh, snow and so forth and so on. Well, this was never a consideration. Wow. And so I was like
10: 16 or 15. I think I was 16. And, and you know, moving on. you
11: And people are crying for a Savior To come and save us from this world Now God, I'm calling your name Cause my world does need change in Jesus name so oh god!
3: said he saw the Tell you one more thing. Listen to this. See, He's mine, and I am His. It doesn't matter what I did. He only sees me for who I am. Does anybody know that tonight? Oh, oh, oh. see, He is mine, and I. Said it doesn't matter what I did. See, he only sees me for who I am. Help me sing it. That yeah, girl said that he is mine. I had a witness tonight Can I ask one question? The question is simply this What did he see? He saw the best. I can't get no help of in here because there are some folk in here that people have wrote you off, said you would never amount to anything, said that you would never end up being anywhere. But, Myron, tell him one more time what did he see? He saw the best. When mama said you would never be nothing, when aunties and uncles said that you never amount to anything, when daddy didn't come home anymore, he didn't look at you and say that you are gonna make it. God looked at you and what did he see? What did he see? All the best. The best.
11: What did he see? The best. I said what did he see? The best. I said what did he see? The best. I said what did he
8: see? The best. I said what did he see?
7: That, you know, the cows have diseases, you have to take into consideration how much hay is required, and you have to go through all the things, the winter time when the days are short, and and uh, uh, snow, and so forth and so on, well, this was never a consideration, it was just, wow, and so I was like 16, or 15, I think I was 16, and, and, you know, moving out in the country, I thought about a horse, that was my thing, you know, we were going to You know, that's what kids mostly think about, is going out and, you know, having a horse. Right. So it was no big thing as far as I was concerned, but I was the one that ended up having to do all the milking. You know, and it was like, you're stuck out there, man. You have to do the morning milking, you know, get the cows out, you have to process the milk, you know, as far as uh, you have to take the milk from the milk parlor into the... uh, uh, They had a little place where the milk would cool. And, you know, that evening you had to milk them again, and, and I mean, you're, you're and that's like no days off, man. It was like, well, anyway, uh, it worked out pretty good for the first couple months, and then I had finished Mile High Academy, and so I was scheduled to go to Oakwood Academy, so Mama Richie and Daddy Richie and the Rises were stuck with the milking which was quite a thing for them to be stuck full-time. And it was kind of a disaster also for them because, uh, you know, they, uh, they just couldn't keep up with it, you know. And then uh, they, uh, they uh, inspected the milk from each place, and the milk had to be maintained at a certain temperature for as far as the bacteria count. And then uh, there was, uh, you know, during different times of the years, there's a shortage of hay, you know, or the hay prices go up. And so all this occurred, and uh, they just totally wasn't repaired. I'm sorry. And it just turned out to be a a total financial disaster. Sis built a big house out there, Sister Eyes, and... She was in real estate at the time, and that flopped on her. And she had all the payments on the house that was coming due, and she had built this grandiose house, and and uh, they had some very bad problems with the house. And and uh, you, you, were you familiar with Booker?
0: Oh yeah, my grandfather. I mean, I, I God, Well, him. you know,
7: he ended up thinking going to penitentiary.
1: Yeah.
7: And. Uh, because of the real estate deals and like I said it was a, just a disaster for moving out into the country I mean we were very very well off you know in the city and uh moving out there and then I was the primary milker and when I went away to Oakwood I mean they just wasn't prepared and uh they had a lot of problems especially in the wintertime you know and you have to you have to get up and meet those cows, man. I mean, you know, it ain't like you can take a day off or something. And then they, um, everything they done was in Denver. So they were just, there were people going back and forth to Denver all the time. And even to the very end, you know, where you live out there, just try to maintain the house after our house was foreclosed. And before that happened, uh, they discovered that was doing some uh, real, he was doing uh, gravel, he was hauling gravel, and he grabbed some of the people that he had been working for over, that we had gravel on our place because we were backed up to the uh, Platte River. And, so um, well, they started digging gravel off our place, and then the people that originally owned the place, uh, complain that it's says like you buy a car and then you start selling tires off the car mm-hmm. but you defaced the car and so they said you were defacing the property you know they were digging all that holes all those holes out there and the lake and so forth so the original uh, the original way the place looked was totally destroyed you know i don't know if you've been out there Recently, but it's just a huge desert out there You know, just uh
0: huge gravel pits out there Right, I've been out there recently And um, so I remember As a kid I guess it was toward the end um, Granny still had a couple of horses out there And me and my sister said That, that names of them were Lucky and Trigger We, had, we thought we were cool Because we had a couple of ponies as kids um, but I remember going out to the they, they, they dug a big lake out there And put fish in the back of, of her house And I used to go fishing out there And um, as I became older Recently I went out there and visited the property And I noticed that the gravel pits that you're talking about And I did a little research And a lot of those highways that they built out in North Denver the gravel that they used came from that property, and I yeah, was. Well, it came from, originally he brought the gravel. People with
7: a big company called Brandon.
8: Mm-hmm. And
7: Daddy Richie had worked because he had hauled gravel and he had dump trucks, and he had worked uh, when we were in Denver with the. Uh, he bought a big ten and grand uh, gravel truck, and. He, uh, after the war, especially, there was a big demand for building, and anyway, he was uh, uh, working the gravel, and then he realized that we had gravel, and they were building the interstates at that time, and he brought them over, and uh, they started digging on our property, and then uh, you know, they uh, probably instigated the foreclosure because you know it was like it was to their advantage own all that stuff you know and and so they probably instigated a lot of uh, they found that they could take over the property which they ended up doing
0: right and that that's crazy because i i just from looking at that property right now i mean it looks like it's worth millions of dollars just based on what we're talking (laughs) about
7: everybody got rich out there but him you know all the neighbors see that was some beautiful property out there initially uh they on the bottom down there where the uh, river was was like a park i don't know if it was like that when you were uh, maybe you missed all that but they had uh they got wood trees and was like a, before the uh, river there was a stream that was that's the that came through down there
0: Praise You. Featuring comedian Jeff Giant, talk show host Halloran Hill, and Dr. Milton Brown. Praise is what I do. And this is I Want to Praise You.
9: Sometimes the soul doesn't get the notice. It has a hole in it due to things that's happened in the past. Hurt, abuse, molestation. But we want to speak to you today and tell you...
7: Like a park, it was green grass and cows right. down, and it was beautiful down there. Uh, this was before the uh, gravel pits came in.
3: Right, and
7: then all the neighbors, uh, we were the only ones that they started initially digging the gravel, and then you know once it became all big, the whole area, you know, everybody sold their property, and uh, and it's just as uh, you might, you know, have seen it's just like a big desert out there as far as, you know, just the gravel pits, you
0: know. Right.
7: But it was a disaster for our family. It just, you know, money-wise, it just destroyed us, you know.
9: It's crazy, man. The
7: fact that, you know, had we not family-wise got involved in all that, especially with getting to something like dairy where you have no knowledge whatsoever, you know, it's just a thousand and one different you know, uh, things involved and to have no experience and no, uh, actually, no workforce, you know. And at their age, you know, to get into something like that, you know, people kind of always, uh, you know, we have an America dream where uh, where you, uh, the white picket fence and and then as you get older, you retire in the country, you know.
1: right. And
7: retiring to a dairy farm is no... Retire to the country.
0: (laughs) I could imagine. I could imagine. You cannot
7: imagine the work. So you have to, when the cows uh, come into that little place where you milk them and they poop all over the place and you have to clean all that up, and it has to meet health standards. That's a big problem. And if you're not adequately cleaning up and cleaning up the equipment, and then you have to be familiar with all this stuff, and then your cows can only produce milk for so long and then they
0: have to be bred again and uh, you
7: know they just don't produce
0: milk forever right do you aware of that? yeah I, I, I am slightly um, especially now that you mention it it makes sense if, they, if they're not bred I mean they, they're not gonna bring you know produce milk
7: yeah so you know and so you have to have a bull and, and then that caused a lot of problems and and then they have a dry period you know they and so you know how many cows are producing and then uh, uh, but see that all you know somebody should have accountability of you know what cow how much they're producing and well you don't have any sense of all this stuff like i said you know like kids grow up in 4-h and uh, go up with their parents and they learn and they study and they you know have, have agriculture and have some knowledge well, when you go into something like that, cold turkey, when they bought the price, they just sent out every day to milk the cows. You know, I'm 16 years old. I'm from the city. Hell, oh, I
0: don't know nothing about. Right. cows. <laughs> and
7: you know, and then the management. You know, and then you have to your production of, against how much milk you know you're producing, and and all the expenses and like, It was just a a super disaster, and considering how well we were off prior to that, you know. Right. And then they ended up with Blofield. Uh, that was the last piece of property that the folks had, the Richies. And uh, you know it was a junkyard, and they ended up actually. That was the only place that they salvaged of all the
0: property that they had. Now that was that was the junkyard that Daddy Richie had, right? Oh yeah, the Blofield. Right. Yeah, I remember that too because. When I was a kid, my parents, Mom and Daddy Rich used to babysit me when my parents went to work. And I'd be out there in the junkyard, riding my trike around down there where the tires were, playing with Duke and Cleo and trying to act like I worked there be a big man. And so, it's a lot of good memories, too. Yeah, that, uh, it, it was, you know, where,
7: if you look back in hindsight, where, you know, we were, and say we as a family, because yeah, I kind of was out of all that because I was, you know, when I was 18 years old, when I went into the service, so everything that was transpiring, I was basically out of it. And I had no, you know, knowledge of what, you know, they never did. See, in my case, uh, due to my situation, I, everything was a secret. Right. And so they were very, very, very... Uh, cautious not to say much around me because they didn't want to steal anything and so I was you
0: know totally left out of everything as far as any family discussions. yeah, I know and, that had to be weird in itself in of itself and you well, know I, but at the time you see that's
7: the whole thing and i I nobody told me anything, and then all of a sudden I was asking for my birth certificate and I just sent me a birth certificate. And it blew my mind. You know, cause
1: everybody I knew was
7: somebody else. Right. And every relative I had was, you know, uh, I ended up with sisters and brothers. I ended up with, uh, you know, my mother, my father. Everybody was.
0: I mean, can you imagine with no warning? I can't. I cannot. <laughs> it
7: was, you know, nobody prepared me. <laughs> I just got a birth. You know, the birth certificate said that. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, Daddy Richie and Elizabeth, I was their product. Wow. Which was not the case. Uh, they said, give me another birth certificate. But, see, back in, in the South, they didn't give black people birth certificates. They didn't go to hospitals.
12: you know? Right. And
7: they they had, had midwives. And so, and requirements for birth certificates, a lot of people had to go back in the South and just have an affidavits that they were born somewhere, you
0: know, because most of all the older black people don't have. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. St- that's amazing in itself. So tell me how yeah. you ended up at Oakwood.
7: Well, because see, my high academy only went to the tenth grade.
0: Uh huh.
7: And so they had they had what they call champion. Your mother went to champion, but they didn't want any blacks going in. That was a problem. With they didn't want any blacks. See, Campion was a, a
1: boarding school. Right. And they didn't want, you know, they didn't want, <laughs> they didn't want
7: any blacks going. Your brothers, you know, boys up there with the girls.
0: Right, right, right. right. Makes sense.
7: Didn't want Sammy to
1: go. Carolyn
7: was all right, but they didn't want Sammy to go. <laughs> right, they, they Sammy to go. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want me to go. And it was no big deal, you know. I had looked
1: forward to going to Oakwood or going
7: to Pine Forge. I mean, it was just understood that I, because they didn't want me to go to regular school, right? So I automatically
0: had to go to Oakwood. And you know, my and mom, my mom was the first black person to go to Campion, and that's another Black History story. I'm gonna have to do a whole conversation with her and to let her tell her story. But we're
7: gonna. They didn't
0: want Sammy to go. Right. They let
7: her go, but they didn't want Sammy to go. Mm Mm-hmm. And see, there was a still... uh, uh, See, I went through all the... There was... Before Mile High Academy, they had what they called Denver Junior Academy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they. Mile High, I don't know if you've ever been out there by Porter's Hospital.
0: I was born at Porter Hospital.
7: Yeah, I know when you were born, right behind... Fortis Hospital was Mile High Academy, but before then, they had an older school that they had bought. It only had, like, four classrooms, and that's where I went predominantly to school. Mm -hmm. And uh, you talk about busing. I had to ride two streetcars as a third grader, two streetcars, catch a bus, and then walk a mile. And that, you know, when you say... You know, you had to walk them out. Well, I had to take two streetcars. I took a streetcar from Welton to 17th. On another, uh, That was number uh, 28. And then caught number 3 that would go down Broadway to Alameda. Then catch the Alameda bus and get off. And then we had to walk a mile. And that was normal. You know, I, I kind of laughed when they were talking about kids busing and all the problems that kids would be scared to death. Well, hell, I had to do it. In the wintertime, you know, like I said, uh, and we had some bad snows back in the '40s, <laughs> and catch some, you know, as I said, then they transitioned to buses, so I ended up with like catch two buses or three buses actually before they ended up with a school bus, and uh, and then the school only had four classrooms. We had first, second, and third in one room, fourth, fifth, and sixth in another room, and ninth. Let's see, fourth, fourth, fifth, and sixth in another room, and then nine, tenth in another room. And then the tenth was the highest
0: grade. And that's how come I ended up going to Oakwood. All right, well, let's see what happens in Oakwood. Let's see how we got transitioned from Denver, Colorado. And what year was it when you went to Oakwood Academy? Uh,
7: 1952. Okay. And, and it was
2: kind
3: of interesting on the way to Oakwood uh, I left him on a train Remember to cover me That I might go in peace Remember to keep me lifted That I may go in spirit Keep my name on your lips, in your prayers.
12: to prepare a place for you. This is Halloran Hilton Hill with another reason to praise. I love that passage. God, since the very beginning, has been in the business of preparing a place for his children. Think about it. He made the garden before he made Adam. He made the garden before. I was thinking about all the places that were prepared for me before I got there. For instance, I'm a graduate of Oakwood University, as are my parents, all four of my siblings, an uncle, a couple of cousins for good measure. Oh, and I've got uh, nephews and nieces. My father, though, was the first in his family to go to college, and he went to one of the few places that had been, catch this, prepared for people of color in those days. Oakwood was founded in 1896 on a former plantation, once home to Dred Scott. Sixteen students were there at the founding of Oakwood Industrial School. This place was prepared long before I was born with me and thousands of others in mind. And that prepared place made space in this world for my father and ultimately changed our entire family's trajectory. A place that was prepared first for slavery was transformed into a place of freedom because that's what God can do. God can take a place, a life that was prepared for one thing and repurpose it so that it produces something that changes generations. And when you step into your prepared place, you open the door for all who will come behind you, just like my father did for our family. And God is still in that business. He looked at his worried disciples and told them, let not your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. Just like the founders of Oakwood took a plantation and moved from growing cotton to growing champions, so too God will take this old earth and swap it out for a new heaven and a new earth. And that's another reason to praise.
7: the train and methodically methodically had every black person get off the train and they put us all in one car mm. and at that time there were a lot of, of kids like myself that were going to uh, all the southern schools from the north and east they were going to uh, uh, Fisk they were going to uh, Alabama A&M and that was no big deal. I mean, we were all, you know, in this one car, basically. Now, one of the irony of that was, at that time, you know, you, we had to ride the back of the bus on, you know, that, you know about that, but in the train, you rode the front of the train, the cars that were put in the front of the train. And the reason for that was, that at that time, uh, they had mostly steam engines, and when they went through the tunnel, the, the front of the train got
0: more smoke than the back of the train. Oh, wow. And
7: the back of the the train had the club cars Mm -hmm. and so forth. And the front of the train, so we rode the front of the train and the back of the bus. Wow. And everything was super segregated, you know, down in Alabama. I can remember even going to a doctor's office when I was in Huntsville, and they had a petition in the doctor's office, you know, colored on one side and white on the other in the doctor's office. And along those lines, when I left Oakwood and joined the Air Force, I was the only black person in that group of boys, you know, it was like, I don't know, 15 of us. Mm -hmm. And they put, you know, going into the basic training areas, you know, they put one guy in charge in your route there. And we got to the airport in Huntsville, and it was segregated, of course. And so I was the only black person, and all the white guys went one way, and I was just standing there like, "What the hell am I supposed to do and The lady realized my predicament there on the entrance, and she sent me there with the uh, with the white kids, but you know the segregation was that that rigid, you know
0: I know that and, made you feel uncomfortable. I know just coming from it, denver it, it made you embarrassed but but the way of that was the way of life hmm. I mean, that was, there
7: was nothing, I mean, that was just, you accepted it because there was no other, you know, Huntsville was, Huntsville was very, very, you know, that was a very prominent place during the Civil War, and uh, when I was there, they had a section right downtown where they sold slaves, you know, there was a slave area, I don't know if they still have it. Wow. Out in the square, they had uh, the rings for the chains and so forth, and that was, but Huntsville played a very significant part of the Civil War. They had a big arsenal there and and uh, they had battles around Huntsville it was a very significant and so, you know, realizing that when I was born there were people still from the Civil War that were alive. I mean there I met a guy that was a slave. Wow. And uh, in Denver and he was 100 years old or something at that time of course because I was born in 1935 and just realizing had I been born uh, 70 years earlier I would have been born a slave I mean you know 70 years Abraham, I'm sorry, uh, Lincoln mm-hmm. you know uh, in 1865 that's 70 years from 1905
8: uh, you know Mm-hmm.
7: and Realizing that some of those people were still alive and then they're their descendants are alive still. I mean they're second generation or third generation. See, everything that has transpired but still within the families it hasn't been that long ago. I mean, they're still carrying to this day, you know, the Southerners are still carrying a lot of wounds from the Civil War. You know, they uh Commemorize it And all kind of stuff That uh, You know That their heritage They consider Their heritage And that's a real Strong thing
0: In a lot of parts Of the south You know It isn't over What I can't What I can't Understand is The south lost And there's You know It seems like Treasonous For you to go Against the United States of America First of all Well
7: it it is According (laughs) to our laws But it isn't I mean, a lot of it is engraved into them, and the hatred. You see, that's very prominent throughout the world. That especially, like uh, in, say, for instance, in uh, the Irish and the English,
8: mm-hmm. and a lot of the Arabs
7: that uh, they, the Sunnis and the Shiites and the, uh, uh, the that they have hatred going back generations after generations after generations of who did what each side has and they don't you know they 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 uh they just still you know, for instance like Pakistan and India are basically the same people or the Jews and the Palestinians. They seem like they're basically the same ethnicity.
0: Right. But their their history they're still fighting with their history. Right, right. And we'll get it we'll get into that because, you know, obviously the the whole Jewish community that started from Abraham, you know, the story about Abraham and his wife and his little side piece that, you know, he had a son with that those two offsprings their generations are fighting to this day. You know.
7: Yeah, he had see Abraham had his wife was
0: Sarah, right? And then he had Isaac through Sarah, and then
7: he had uh, Ishmael through uh, through uh, Hagar. Right. I think it was Hagar. That's it. And, and uh, that was the the beginning of the uh, the uh, Muslim religion and and then the Jewish religion, and you know, they splintered, they both see a crisis in both religions, and so is Abraham, you know, Abraham's the patriarch in both religions.
1: Right.
7: They, they don't accept Christ, they accept him as a prophet, but not as the savior, but, if, but basically, for whatever reason, who did what to who is what Still, is a big factor in all these religions and separations and so forth. You know, somebody did something to somebody's great, 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 great granddad, and and the hatred. And with America, uh, we're a a young country, but
0: we still haven't resolved We haven't resolved those issues. That's what's Uh, going on. And
7: it's like I said, it's basically everywhere.
0: Right. So so. so my question is So I'm just trying to figure out So you end up in Huntsville At Oakwood Academy And then soon after You, you get interested in joining the Army Tell me that, about that transition The Air Force guys I mean the Air, Air Force. Force I'm sorry I'm not going to say the Army Not one more time I promise Well I, I had completed
7: one year Of, of, of Oakwood This is my second year I was in my senior year In Oakwood Okay Uh huh and, uh, and I'm going to be very honest. Uh, yeah, I, I was very unique in a, in a lot of ways because at least I consider myself kind of unique. There wasn't many blacks from Colorado, and then the fact that they were very strict. For you know, our family moving out to the country and so forth. So I had no social You know, I really had never dated. See, I wasn't permitted to date, and I. You know, there was nobody, only had three black girls in the church, basically. Rosemary, Sylvia, and Jeanette.
8: <laughs>
7: and, uh, and then the white kids in our school, I was very much accepted, but we just didn't cross that line. There were some of the girls that, but we just couldn't openly date. We just couldn't date. And then, of course, we didn't go to dances. And so I really had no social skills whatsoever. I had never had a date prior to going to the Air Force, okay?
8: Mm-hmm. I wow. never
7: knew how I never knew how to dance, I never had a girlfriend. Mm. And at Oakwood, coming from Colorado, most people's perception of
8: Colorado was the West. When people came to visit they wanted to know where your horse was. <laughs> and coming from Colorado, there was
1: I was the only one basically and and so I had no
7: Nobody, you know, to break the water for me down there. I mean, to, I mean, I had, I was on my own, you know, and it wasn't that, it was okay, but I, did, I you know, Coming, I didn't know, I didn't have any skills as far as, you know, they set me up for a lot of stuff, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, kind of a dope guy, you know, I didn't know how to protect myself very much, and, and, uh, you know, because I hadn't been around black people that much also. You see what I'm saying?
0: Right, right. I couldn't relate to that.
7: And uh, so it was pretty awkward. I mean, it wasn't disastrous, but it was kind of awkward, you know. And then I, I uh, wasn't making much effort to study. And so it just happened that at the same time, I always thought of our family as well-off. And money-wise, they were losing their property at the same time, and it just so happened by me going out the air, going into the air force, as a savior for the family for for, for paying, you know, my tuition down there.
8: Hmm.
7: Did that happen? That's you?
0: Oh yeah, it was just something I was moving on the table. Go ahead, go ahead.
7: Okay, So. It just happened that it worked out. It was the greatest thing in my life that ever I ever decision, and it was also the greatest thing for the family because they couldn't actually afford to keep me down there. They would have played like they could, but they actually couldn't. Wow! And when I told my dad Richie, I was going in the Air Force, and I told him, you know, I wouldn't go up. It was kind of really, you know. And he just said that make sure that I knew that when I went in, that he would support me. That you know. As long as I wanted to stay in school, but in reality they couldn't yeah. by any means.
1: Right?
7: You know, their dairy farm got closed down, and they lost the cows. They lost their property. They just lost their ass. I mean, they lost everything. You know, all the things that they had worked for all the years just went down the tubes. I mean, they ended up with, with the living in the junkyard. But I mean, you know, considering uh, all the money that they had before. Daddy Richie used to carry a thousand dollar bill around with him all the time. Wow! And you can imagine, uh, you know, what a thousand dollar—they don't have them in circulation now—but a thousand dollar bill, he, he carried it around kind of like a joke. You know, we had, uh, one time we went to a bicycle shop get my bicycle fixed, and he gave the guy a thousand dollar bill, and the guy gave him ninety something dollars back. That's <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I said, yeah. You give me a hundred dollars. The guy was just thinking, give me a thousand dollar bill and don't know it, you know. And no, I'm You check it, you know. He said, uh, check it out, sir. I think I give you a thousand dollar bill, you know. Oh, you know. <laughs> and then what? Kind of funny. How many times the kids would come over to our house and I told them my daddy had a thousand dollar bill and so Dad would let me have it. This one particular time, this is before they were into the church, and I could go to the movies. This was about when I was about eight years old. And so I showed the guy the 1000 the kid the $1,000 bill, and this went to, to the movie. And at that time as a kid, we really never carried paper money. We always had change, you know.
8: And so um. it was just. So anyway, at the movie,
7: it was a Roxy movie there in Walton. I'm sure you've seen it, the old Roxy movie.
1: Right, I, I remember that.
7: Well, anyway, they used to, uh, that was just the heart of the community and they have a thing, they could uh, put a light on the screen if they were paging somebody. Because occasionally they had to page somebody for whatever. And they would put a big light over the picture in the movie you know, just light up the screen, and they would be paging people. So they put a light over the screen, and they start paging me. Well, hell, I had never been paged before, and I didn't know. You mm-hmm. know, and the kids hollering, "Tommy, go to your, you know, go to the they're paging you." know, and they coaxed me into going. And, and Mama Ritchie was standing there, and she was going nuts, and she said, "Sonny, what you son, what you do with the money? What you do with the money?" Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know. You know, so she empty, you know, her mother, she had to empty your pockets.
0: Upon my pockets, and that was a thousand hour Oh, we, I know Mama Richie was upset about that. But no,
7: they wasn't upset, they were just, you know, because it was their fault, you know. That oh, they okay. up. But I mean, it was just an anecdote,
0: you know, where, uh, you know, I went
7: to the movie and didn't, and you know, because I didn't know I had it still.
9: Man. Oh, okay.
7: And it was all crumbled up in my pocket because I never carried paper money at that time.
1: Right. And you know, to have
7: a thousand dollar bill, you know, a lot of people think it maybe been a hundred. They don't know that you know it was a literally a thousand dollar bill. He right. He carried a he carried. You know how I don't know if you remember how his billfold was always full of stuff. You know, he had this real thick bill.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah.
7: <laughs> and he carried it kind of like a status thing because he. Uh, he would go out and buy stuff, you know, and they would think he didn't have any money a lot of times. And he would whip $1,000 out, you know, because he bought all those old cars. Right. And stuff.
0: He had to let them know. He had to let them know that he had paper. <laughs>
7: yeah, he a lot. He was very, very shrewd in buying stuff and that kind of stuff. He was tremendously wise and knew the value. And after the war, see, he bought a lot of... Uh, of uh he bought they had a big munition plant out on 6th avenue kaiser and it's called remington arms at the time it built a lot of uh, they made a lot of ammunition and stuff for the war and um, he bought so everything after the war people were building new houses and everything so everything was sound salvageable they didn't have access to new num- rummer, I'm sorry, new lumber and right away, because they were building all the homes for the veterans and whatever, so everything from the old war plants to the glass windows, the flooring anything the rails, was sal- you know, you could sell all this stuff, uh-huh. you know, the wood and so he bought by he bought into uh, to, to salvage this area out there and they dug up a lot of the ammunition, you know, the, the the bullets that they had, you know, used and copper and stuff like that. And so, you know, like now they, when they tear down buildings, they just tear it down. And but in those days, they went and salvaged all the stuff they could, all the iron, the pipes, everything. You know? Right. So he had uh, he had this big truck, and he would go around, and he just knew how to buy stuff for nothing practically. Uh, he
0: made a lot of money I mean they were Very very prosperous at that time Wow I mean I I remember stories Like that I mean like I said I remember riding around In the back of the Cadillac With him And he'd be You know Making his Running his errands And doing certain things And just You know Images of him Spending money And negotiating With people All of that So I remember that As a young Person myself at that
7: time He was As I said We had all that Property and and they, our family uh, was very prosperous. You know, for black people at that time, we were in Denver. We were very. See, there was a time where uh, during the war, everybody made money. There was nobody that didn't have a job. Anything that you could do was part of the war effort, and everybody had a job. There was like nobody that didn't have didn't have money, basically. Right. And so, there's no comparison yeah.
3: now because there's Mr. people
1: Charles.
3: that don't have jobs until at that time, it's everybody a had a job. That's I mean,
2: what it is, baby. 50 you know, you, you it, My block. Yeah. Talk to him, man. I've been living this life for a long time, and I still ain't got it all down. Never claim to be the one that's always right. And there's some things I don't understand It ain't easy to live in this way Believe me, I'll try What's wrong with loving on the weekend? I'm missing Cause I want it to sleep in and If I drink once a week, i to sneak Is that the way it is? Oh, I'm the topic of the he say she say. When I don't want, I gotta love my neighbor. What to, what's right from wrong, know you hear the stress in the song Well it's enough to make a brother quit keeping on I hear the preacher say don't, but my body say do it Cause nobody's gonna know about the gin and juice fluid Baby girl with the curls trying to get me to pursue it But to keep it way real, God knows everything I'm doing He know I'm trying, I'm fighting, trying to follow the right. All the preaching, the teaching, and what the elders are speaking I know you feel like sometimes he ain't preaching Cause you party Saturday and then you Sunday go to me
0: Thank you for joining us for another edition of I Want to Praise You. For comedian Jeff Giant, talk show host Halloran Hill, and Dr. Milton Brown. And special thanks to Uncle Tommy, Tommy Ritchie, a legend at Oakwood Academy. The interview ran over, so if you want to listen to the rest of the interview, right after this commercial break, we will finish the conversation with Uncle Tommy on this edition of I Want to Praise You. Thanks once again and until next week you know how I do each and every week i
7: a job okay and so it was just money all over the place and then you know there were people like him that knew how to you know there are always people that know how to get the other people's money and so he was able to buy stuff and especially being a minority person you know they would underestimate he was a very intelligent man business wise in that aspect of knowing the value of stuff and so he was able to he he would go to this one place where uh, they would make uh, you know when they make cement culverts, I don't know if you know what a culvert is, it's a thing the water runs through under the road.
0: Okay, okay.
7: And they put this iron, they put an iron mesh in the cement to hold the cement together. And so it's got this kind of like a mesh. Right. And he would go to this one place and they had a lot of scrap pieces left over. And they would help him load the stuff in the truck. Then he would go to another place, they would give him just to clear out all these little pieces, and he went to another place where they were using little pieces to make ash pits. See, so I don't know if you know what a ash pit is, but back in those days in Denver, uh, we didn't have garbage disposals, okay? Okay. So your garbage you had in your backyard, or behind your building or whatever, you had a big uh, barrel for garbage
8: uh-huh. in Denver. Uh-huh.
7: And the city would come by, they had garbage collectors, they had this truck with a, uh, a long rectangular, long rectangular, uh, like a bathtub, uh-huh. rectangular. Uh-huh. And they would put all the garbage in, uh, and they had these guys They wore aprons and they would run into your backyard and they went, "If all this was free. And then, in addition to that, your trash—they had what they call ash pits or trash barrels, mm-hmm. and you would burn each house. You would either burn your trash, or they would come and collect
0: your trash. I think I remember. The, I think I remember those barrels being out in the back of Granny's house, and well, she, would, she would burn trash. I remember smelling, you know, you know that. Well,
7: in the city I'm talking about this is in the city
0: oh okay they're not in Brighton okay
7: they not in Brighton and so anyway they would each person at that time would have uh a, a, like a barbecue pit what he did was take it to a place where they would build these ash pits like each individual house had its own ash pit and they needed these little pieces of of uh, of of uh, mesh and he would sell them this scrap because it was hard to come by and so anyway he would make maybe a hundred dollars a load and uh it was working great until he bought this big tandem truck a tandem is where you have eight wheels in the back and uh big dump truck you know and they they were quite expensive and quite the thing and so where he would he took out he had his name on the door, and, and they were a little apprehensive after he came up with his new truck, because they were helping him load the old truck, and, you know, he was a good old boy, and, mm-hmm. and then he shows up with a new truck, you know, and that kind of put the kibosh on, uh, you know, they kind of figured something
0: was going on, and He was know? making too much money as a black man, let's say what it is. <laughs> but he, uh, he was...
7: He was he was adapted doing stuff like that. I mean, he would just go out in his prime, you know, and just make a fortune, literally, of uh, buying scrap stuff, you know, to, to his dying day, you know. They had the junkyard
1: out there. And- right. I remember
0: the junkyard. And you know what? Uncle Tommy, I really believe that that influenced so many people in our family to be hustlers like Granny and... Butchie, Dwight, Sammy, myself, and other people in the family that has that entrepreneurial um, just background in their in, in, in foundation.
7: Well, Dwight was a uh, hustler right from the beginning, man. Out there at the house in Brighton, you know the the Rice House, right in the garage he he, he he started a car wash thing there
1: I
0: remember I remember it so vividly he,
7: he was washing cars for some of the dealerships up in Brighton and uh, and then you know he just took that on and when he had that out there in Globeville he had a he had a garage where he was dealing cars right and he just uh, Dwight was just kind of in that from the time he was a teenager you know
0: I mean, he was driving to El Dorado by the time he was 18, 19 years old. Uh, and then Sammy
7: was all over the place as far as, uh, he was in the car racing.
0: Oh, yeah, he was a race, I mean, what black man is a drag racer to this day? He he has rails, and I mean, I grew up around race cars, and I remember the can-do, do you remember the yellow can Dude that he used to have? Yeah, no, I have a picture of it. Oh, that was a, that was a dope one, man, I'm talking about. And that was just right in our family. And then Butchie, he was a car salesman. He had a Corvette when I was a little kid, the the, the fastback. And those cars are worth probably over a hundred thousand dollars to this day. Hey, Sammy had a Corvette also. The green, yeah, when uh, the Stingray. I remember that green Stingray. They, they would rent on the highway in front of granny's house was, um, was yeah, the man. drag strip and they would be out there the church would come over we have picnics bonfires the fellas would be out there racing I mean black people were doing stuff that I've never I remember one time Uncle Sam, Uncle Tommy that we all got together and went <laughs> up to um to the mountains I don't know if it was the Royal Gorge or whatever but it was, it was, I got a picture of
7: you
0: up there it was up uh, it was
7: up to, um, hang you know, for just a second.
0: Oh, it was Estes Park. Estes Park, right. And we had. We had I have a picture of you, and, uh, you got in, uh, there was a, there was, uh, you and
7: another kid, um, he was from, Saint, uh, from, um, Detroit,
0: Detroit, was Yeah, that was my cousin, um, that was Uncle QT's, uh, grandson. Yeah, and I have a
7: picture of you and him in this parade.
0: Yeah. they
7: had a little parade of going through town and you were kids you were about 8 or 9 years old or younger and I have a picture of you up there at Estes Park they had, do you realize that was the fourth or, that was the uh, I think it was the June something of 1976 wow and, and let me tell you something that you might not have known uh, on the way up there Within a day or so, they had this big flood.
9: Oh, okay.
0: The,
7: they killed a hundred something people. They had the big what was called the Big Thompson, Big Thompson flood through Equester Park. Right. And we were on a di- on the uh, there was a different highway, but the the flood came down through town and killed all these people on the highway, and we missed it by a day or so. Wow. In a couple of days, our family it was like twelve cars
0: that we had that went up their carloads. Right, and when I remember that because we had Winnebago's and El Dorado's and Corvette's and it was uh, over a 100 black people and white people and, and I remember we had boats because Sammy and Butchie was um, water skiing and, and white people were looking like, who are these black um, people? That, was, that might have been a different time because we didn't, they didn't, that that's the on the one I'm talking about the one that I have a picture of you and all, they didn't have any
7: boats okay but you do remember the boats when they used to go water skiing right
0: oh, uh, one of the boats was my boat oh okay that's here the truth comes. <laughs> okay I just remember somebody out there in the in the lake water skiing and it was it this. not the time that I'm referring to uh, when, when I got the
7: picture of you up there as a kid okay but, uh, yeah, that boat that was in the garage, that was my boat, and uh, I had left it in there when I went to Germany, they had left it and kept it, and then Butchie got it out, and I don't know exactly you know, what happened, but anyway, uh, that, that boat was my boat.
0: Oh, and, wow. Uh, okay. So now you got to explain to me how you got from Oakwood Academy to Germany and became an air traffic controller. okay. Uh
7: I, okay. When I was in the air, I spent twenty three years in the air force. That's a big jump, you know. Between so when, anyway, I went in the air force
0: at fifty three. Right. Right. From Oakwood, from Huntsville to the yeah, air from force. From Huntsville
7: to the air force. Right. And then they, uh, I, I went to radar. I was in my what they call a career field. That's your type job. You and I got into uh, started off in radar. Okay. And uh, the and NORAD, you know, you see pictures in NORAD during Christmas, you know, the North American uh, Air Defense Command, that's NORAD. Well, anyway, radar, you know, air defense radar, back during the uh, armor threat, the announced uh, missiles. But And then our career field expanded into satellite tracking and then into uh, what they call space objects. We had this. Uh, huge camera that we could take theoretically a picture of a basketball at 17,000 miles out in space. Mm. And so anyway and then you know radar got sophisticated you know this we're talking about 53 on. And you know got into computers and all that stuff and then after I finished Air Force in 76 and I was in limbo for like Ten years, I tried to sell real estate, and, and real estate at that time the interest rate like thirteen nine to fourteen percent interest mm-hmm. on houses. You know, like a zero now or one percent. This was during the uh, Carter administration. Inflation was real high, and interest rates literally on a house. And like on cars, but on a house it was fourteen percent, thirteen to fourteen. And uh, anyway, which made selling a house—you know—you you had the price, and then you had to put the interest in there. You had to figure out—you know the people they still be eligible to buy the house with this additional added on interest that they'd have to make on their payments. You follow
0: me? Yes, I do.
7: So it's disqualified a lot of people because the interest was so high that what they would be paying on the principal, they just didn't
12: qualify. Right. Well, so anyway, there was a transition time, 10 years that I sold telephones,
7: and tried to sell telephones, and tried to sell houses, and so forth, and timeshare, and so forth, and I was retired, and so my retirement, and, uh, uh but, you know, I was able to just you know hang in there, and uh, it was was not a, a real bad time. And then they needed people their traffic control experience. Now I wasn't a, pro, a, a controller. I was in what they call an assistant, which was like a nurse to a doctor. You uh-huh. know, same things. We worked in the same operating room, and basically you couldn't tell who's what. You know. But they, the the difference was they worked the uh, radar on the with the air, we provided a lot of the information that they needed, so, you know, it was, and then I did a lot of the other stuff that was necessary, just comparable to an operating room. You know, if you see everybody with a gown on, you can't basically see who's doing
1: what, you know. Right, you know. right. So I did that for 30-something years, you know. I retired, basically. Uh,
7: after my motorcycle accident from that and so you know which provided you know with social security and all that a pretty good income you know till
0: now So, so here's my question <clears throat> so there was a time that you told me that when you got to Huntsville, that you didn't have a whole lot of social skills, you didn't date a lot. But after you left, you know, the, I didn't uh, date at all. right? But you left and went to the army, and you came back with all these beautiful women. You came back to Denver with all these beautiful women. I remember Edie in particular, that I was in love with her myself. That was my buddy. And so I used to be amazed, like, man, Uncle Tommy has got to be one of the coolest black people I ever met in my life.
8: <laughs> okay, think about all that. All right. The
0: fact that you know, like, you didn't, you did, I didn't
7: prevail. You know, when I was a young guy, you know, like at Oakwood, and and my first couple bases. I, I didn't know how to dance. I could roller skate because I, you know, we could roller skate at Oakwood. That was the only social thing that we could do down there. Okay. Let me tell you something kind of funny down at Oakwood.
9: Okay. Uh, Come on. <laughs> it
7: separ- separated that you couldn't sit anywhere with the women. I mean, the girls were on one side and the auditoriums and social things, and the guys were on the other side. You didn't fit with whoever. Maybe dating or something. Uh huh. They had movies occasionally when I was there, and if they had a kissing thing in the movie, they would cover it up.
8: Oh wow! <laughs>
7: they were very, very strict about fraternizing. Uh, you couldn't, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, hardly sit with somebody on the campus. They had to stand, and you had to stand. And and then they were very strict about, you know, hanky panky. Man, that was. None that I knew of When I was down there I mean you know Things is a different world now But you didn't socialize At all Wow When I was
0: there so, just, so things got real different By the time you Got in the Air Force And went to you Oh well your, you know, yeah. Here's
7: how the Coin flipped <laughs> I You know I had been around White people More than I had Black people So I had no hang-ups about, you know, being uncomfortable with white people, and so by the time I went to Germany, I'd been well, I went to Japan. was like, just turned 21 years old. I got had to go to Japan, and uh, at that time, when I went over there in the 50s, uh, their economy and so forth was that there were just women it was prostitution but it was just uh it was just there was just thousands of women available mm. and i mean to go there at 21 years old and you could just have any woman you wanted practically it was just unbelievable okay just you can't imagine to to the extent of going into a room where uh it's full of women they got numbers on them you I mean, say I want number 16 I want number 14 or whatever and it costs you $5 just, you
8: know. <laughs> wow
7: and, and you know like all night man I mean you know and just to cut your teeth up or something like that it was you know and considering I had no prior exposure hardly you know to go over there and just have women by the hundreds you know and uh, I don't know if you can imagine but just it was like Unbelievable, you know. To uh, so anyway, so that kind of gave me a start, you know. Uh
8: huh. Uh huh. Uh uh-huh.
7: And eventually, uh, being stationed in different places, uh, I always had a car, and and the fact that you know I didn't have any hangups about white folks when I went to Germany, I I wasn't that. They had what they call uh, you know joints at the brothers couple places where the brothers predominantly went. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could go there and meet a gal right away, and but she had been normally, you know, guys would ship out and then she, you know, catch the next guy, and you could go home with them, and and it, and it was really easy just to get a woman, but but it, but you know, I I was more or less wanted something different, you know. I said, well, hey, you know, this is a big city. I just don't want to go over it. just a couple old places where the brothers hang out, you know. And and so I started asking the guys, and they didn't seem to know anything. And so I asked the Germans, and so, where they went. And so they told me, you know, the clubs that they went to, well, I and I went, and they were, you know, like, you know, I was the only black guy there, and they, you know, they check me out, you know, everybody's looking at you and how you behaved, and eventually, you know, they, I was accepted, and then it just multiplied tremendously where you know, they would, uh, the bands would watch how I reacted so music was a thing at that time and they would watch and see how I reacted to the music and you know if I seemed to like the way they were playing it and, and then the guys were in the band when they see me they would kind of give me the high sign on some gal maybe to, you know to hit on and, and then they would acknowledge that I was there and then pretty soon the waiters would just give me the best seats and, and they'd make a big deal out of me being there you know like I'm a no Person, and then eventually the owners and and you know they would uh, acknowledge me, and then I got invited to all kind of openings, and then it just multiplied to be a nobody person in a major city of the world and get treated like I did. And so, uh, you know, Edith was no tramp, you know, she had her own factory, you know, all the money that she, she spent all her money
1: coming. I mean, she spent her money coming, you know, when you met her and all that, right of the caliber
7: of women like Edith I was meeting, you know, where they weren't like, you know, hand-me-downs and so forth, and, uh,
8: you know, Edith, I don't know, I
0: mean, she was a classy lady, you know that. Yes, she was, I mean, even as a kid, I remember just like, yeah, this is not the same, it's not no regular type of female, right? <laughs> and, the, uh,
7: and the folks, you know, when she wanted to come to Denver, well, first she came to, I was stationed in Florida, she came to Florida, and and she uh, was in Miami Beach, and she called me up. I was at Key West, and she was in one of the biggest hotels there. And she called me, and I went up, and uh, you know, I paced her, and she came down in a bikini, man. You know, and kissed me, and it was like, you know, I'm like in a big hotel. There was
0: this blonde in a bikini, you know, and she's got her arms around me and mm, stuff. And, mm, mm. I know that and, was the <laughs> in Miami. Uh, oh lord. She had money,
7: you know, she had her own company over there and so, and then, you know, when she came to Denver, I told the folks that she wants to come to see me, you know, and if she could stay with me and they decided that she could stay with me, that was kind of a no-no. Right. And they agreed to uh, let her stay with me and that's when you met her. Right all her trips, she came over another time also, and she, 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 all that was her money, not, you know, I, Mm -hmm. and then I was just so many women, when I was, uh, I was thinking in Turkey, well, a gal came from Germany down to Turkey to see me, and then there was another gal that was in Florida came to see me, and it was like, I can't tell you, explain to you, but for a nobody person, you know, with my background, and then going to Berlin, and, all the, it was like, it was an experience beyond an experience as far as women were concerned. And I met Peter Lawford. I don't know if
8: you were familiar with Peter Lawford, but he was Kennedy's brother in law. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy was a, revered in Germany. And uh, I met him,
0: and he was making a movie, and I tried to go out and uh, and then Nixon came so, over so, Peter Lawford was part of the rat pack with Sammy yeah, Davis was, Jr. Yeah, he and he Frank just, Sinatra. Uh, yeah, yeah. Davis Jr., and that's a big thing
7: down here. Well, anyway, I was. Out with him, and then uh, Nixon came over, and he, you know, the president shakes hands in the crowd. Well, when he shipped my hand, you know, just brushed my hand. Well, the people knew me downtown, and you know, that was a big thing. You know, I'm shaking hands with the president. You know, and you know they could associate there with somebody in the crowd. You know, but anyway, the big thing was I got out of the GI circuit right away, and when I got out of my home, I basically was prepared. You know that I didn't have any hangups. And the people responded to me like unbelievable. Uh, it was like uh, they were so protective of me, the German people, not mm-hmm. the Americans, the mm-hmm. Germans. Right. And I ended up with just women just coming at me like, you know, just. I couldn't dance that much, but I could dance a little bit. I had my car and stuff, and they just came in by the dozens, literally. I mean, it was just the going to go into place and all these scales are hitting on you, you know, and I mean, the experience, you know, for me, where it was feast or famine, and it, it just was overwhelming, you know. I, I I got to the point where I was just, I tried to have, you know, have every damn woman over there. And you know It was just wearing me out I mean I wanted Some peace and quiet Just Stay <laughs> off And I was trying to date Like 13 or 14 girls At the same time And I mean They were all
0: demanding man And it was like undamn Believable I mean, You <laughs> know what's funny You know what's so funny About this Because Everything That is Prominent in our family Like Being a hustler And uh Being a woman, not, I can't say a womanizer, but. I was a uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, like, you know Everybody in our family From Sammy to Butchie to Dwight I done experienced a little bit And now it makes sense Because it's been in our lineage Even even Daddy Richie had a personality Where people were just attracted to his Who he was, you know And and even Granny my, Everybody has their, you know their, their thing And so just for me to hear you talk about it Is just... Interesting to me, and I'm glad that we had this conversation because it explains I
7: mean, something that along those lines that I don't know if you noticed, but you know, the stereo there was nobody in our family that had the stereo talk, you know, uh, black talk. You follow
0: me, right? Right, definitely,
7: nobody talked black, you know, when I first went to the, day, that's the predecessor to uh, my high academy, they asked me if I could, one of
0: the kids asked me if I could take talk meter talk. And oh, I no. I would have now. punched him right in his mouth right then, but go
7: ahead.
12: No, 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 no. no. <laughs> right.
7: Big and then he, you know, they just assume. see, when we're talking back in the 40s, that they assumed that all black talk uh, I don't
0: know you're not familiar with Amos and Andy but oh yes was, uh, sir, I, remember, I know exactly who you talking about they, uh, TV shows mm-hmm. if they had black people but yes sir boss yes sir boss and all that talk yeah, uh, well, see, but
7: initially initially before, see, there was a transition that a lot of the radio shows went to television. Mm-hmm. And the initial, Amos and Andy were white guys imitating black people. Mm-hmm. And the exposure that a lot of people had listening to them, they assumed that all black people talk like that.
1: right?
7: Or talk black. You mm-hmm. understand? You right. know, you're living in Huntsville with some of the brothers and how we talk, how you talk, mm. how I talk. Right. It's, different from what like, the average street brother okay of course and so I'm saying in our family thanks thanks to uh, whatever that none of us was exposed to people that talk like that I mean everybody in our family there's nobody that I know and, and that would, that talks say black Right. this and that and all the and then all the bullshit talk you know mm. there's uh, we, ne- we had no exposure, you know, that to talk to you or talk to Darlene or talk to Carolyn or talk to Emmett or talk to anybody. There was nobody that talked like that. You know, they could speak proper or re- relatively intelligent, you know, uh, English.
1: Right, 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 right. You no. and
7: my, myself, we had no exposure to the soul stuff, you know.
0: Well, that's 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 not necessarily true when it comes to me because I lived in Georgia and Alabama long enough to, that I could speak it fluently and I understand it. Like, for example, in Georgia, the dialect is it'll go something like this: "Shawty on everything, I love you know. I'm talking about folk, you know what I'm saying? That that Southern swag and conversation." Yeah, I understand that, but you have an option, you know, Oh yes, if definitely. If you're in business or something that you don't come on. You know what I mean? And you don't have that in, ingrained in you. Right, but when I'm with my boys, you know, we're playing basketball or whatever, we talk and like that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, it's been to your advantage when you're doing business. Oh, you know, definitely. <laughs> all right, that's
7: what I'm saying. And where some of these people
0: don't have a choice. That's all they
7: have. Right, right, right. You're right, though. And I went to Germany, and all the places that I've been since when I got into air traffic control they don't want anybody on the radio coming on with the swag that you're just talking about you're talking to an airplane and you're like hey man such a guy you know like who you're you know you're controlling that you know can you understand what
8: I'm
0: saying
7: (laughs) you're getting the holy hell out of the you know that you know you know that I mean, you know, when you're talking, they have what they call strict RT procedure. When you're and on the phones, you have all the coordination. Oh, and yeah. you come on like a super brother or something, regardless of your skill, man, I mean, they're scared. They can't help you. And, uh, you know, it just didn't happen. I mean, you wouldn't survive in and on a job. Right. wouldn't make it.
0: And as a broadcaster, it has helped me tremendously because my mother would not let me talk like that when I was younger and I, it took me to get older to even you know even adapt that type of conversation and so I, I appreciate I appreciate that now looking back that's the point I was trying to make you know when I got into air traffic control there was not, uh, I
7: didn't talk to that many airplanes but I did a lot of the coordination and then there was occasionally I, I did talk to the airplanes and that was a big, for the, the pilots have to have confidence on the stuff, the directions that you're giving them. And when they automatically are skeptical, you know, by the way you talk and, uh, you know, and, and your emotion, you know, where you coming on and said, hey, man, you better, you know, we you know, and in the military, you know, I was the supervisor. I had 40 people working for me in, in a big uh, uh, radar complex and, you know, how you are able to communicate with your fellow and co-workers, you know, and generals and what have you, and, you know, your ability to communicate, that's a very important, and how your ability, you know, to communicate, and, you, and to, you know, when you have to write reports and so forth, and so your command of English, and, uh, you know, to, I'm not saying I was some super, but, I mean, it was to my advantage, you know, when I mentioned earlier my disadvantage just then there was a time in my life where
0: it became an advantage that's good that's good i i i am I'm, I'm glad that we had that that advantage in our family because i mean to this day it's working for me and other people in our family to this day and i just think
7: the way she talks, your way your mother talks, your way your father talks, the, the way uh all the rices and Richie that you were daddy Richie, you know, their education and how smart he was with his limited education. Mama Richie, you know, how everybody spoke. Yeah. You
0: know, intelligently. But, you know, intelligently. Definitely. Definitely. Well it's a blessing for all of us that made us be able to
7: because, you know, like I said, I've been a loner most of my life, and to be in some of the situations that I've been in, and to be able to and see a lot of times uh, also uh, when you can hold your own, you know they don't mess with you to the extent of you know where you can all come in and talk intelligent. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I back in my day they had gas stations where they had attendants that would come out and check your oil and your tires oh, yeah. and all the
0: I remember them, I remember that. (laughs) Okay,
7: well, I was lost in Minneapolis. I went up to see this gal, and uh, I, I just went up to see her. I was stationed in Wisconsin, and so I had a Cadillac, and I drove into the gas station, and being lost, It was, uh, you know, they didn't have GPS and all that stuff. And Uh so you'd have the car and you'd ask the attendant rather than have somebody come out to your car. And, you know, you give them the courtesy of going and asking rather than having them, you know, you try to beat them to the car and, you know, telling them that you're lost and asking for direction. Well, the guy came out to the car and I was in process of getting out. And he walked up and he was, and we kind of, hit at the same time, not hit, but I mean I was getting out and he was coming over and he had said, y'all's a boss, what can I do for y'all? And when I was
8: getting <laughs> out he said,
7: Here, may I help
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But, but just the
7: fact that throughout my life and all the places that I was stationed and the fact that I was able to get out of the pack, you know, and get out on my own, and if the dividends were just far as womanizing, which I'm a, readily admit, I mean, I chased them hard, man. And, but I had, I had so much advantage over the Street Brothers. See, I could go into places that they couldn't go, were in a sense that how they behaved, how they dressed. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of dudes were sharper, you know, because they couldn't figure out how I got some of the ladies that I got, you know, they they just couldn't, you know, because I didn't have the street knowledge, I still don't, you know, one of my big apprehensions is to go to jail, because I, I just have a hard time, man, you know, because I don't know the street thing, you know, Let's, let me tell you a story once, uh, I had, a, when I was in California, I was in charge of this satellite tracking thing that we were doing and one of the guys had a birthday and decided on to get him a birthday present. And one guy said, well, let's chip in and get him a lid. Well, I thought a lid was a hat at the
0: time. I know what the the lid (laughs) is. But I I
7: didn't, okay, so I said, okay, and I was, you know, how much, and they, everybody freaked, because I was the supervisor, and they were just joking. I was serious, you know, and they couldn't you know, and, but I didn't know where the lid was. I thought it
0: was a hat, see. You gotta tell everybody what a lid was that in, in terms of just so we'll know well, what the lid was, it, was a thing of dope, man. It was some uh, weed, it's it's like it, some it, marijuana. I didn't know that. That's
7: the point I'm making. And <laughs> and fact that the was agreeable.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Because the reason why I laugh is because I made it a point. To go to the streets And find out What that culture was too Because we Weren't brought up that way So it it was Attractive to me And so I I wanted to know Both sides The truth about The streets And you know The education And the streets So when you said a lid I have all the old school cats used to talk about yeah man I'm going to go get me a lid and, a, and and a fifth and I'll be right back
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you,
7: if you're familiar with uh, Las Vegas
0: oh yeah
7: and you know where I live it's right across the street in the high rise
0: from the Westgate. yes sir
7: and on the elevators and so forth we have multi-millionaires and a couple billionaires that live where I live that right, you know that you can in the elevators, where I park my car, there are Rolls Royces and everything down there. Okay. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that if I got on the elevator with some of these people, and they're protective up there, because some of these units are like six thousand square feet, and the you know the penthouses, multi you know selling for five, six million dollars, mm-hmm. and just that, the, I can be civil with them, and they can be civil with me, opposed to you know that I'm, you know, just the fact that I can hold my own in a conversation. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, where, they don't feel they don't feel intimidated by you and your presence. you go. That's the point. You know right. where, with my background that.
7: This is no big deal You know And If you If you act inferior A lot of times You get treated inferior
0: Oh yeah Oh yeah You gotta know if, when And when not to Definitely
7: If you get you walk into a place And you act like You're scared to death Or you don't belong have a tendency to treat you that way regardless of the, your race or whatever you know if you if you're on the street and you walk around that you didn't belong or you're scared to death then people will automatically pick up on that oh yeah and especially on status quo far as money and so it's just that the fact that i'm more comfortable and basically in this environment and then i get treated like hey man everybody you know uh,
0: you know, you're just
7: one of the people, man, and that's it. it's been, you know, to my advantage where in the past, in the very beginning, was my disadvantage. You know, because I just didn't know, you know, what
0: are my shortcomings now are my assets. You know, that's it. Um, listen, I am so glad that you have taken this time out to have this conversation with me. It explained a lot of things about myself and why I am the way that I am, <laughs> and especially with. With conversation, speaking, uh, interacting with women, men, the whole story, it, it affects me a certain way, and I understand it better now because of what God has done in your life in terms of just, you could tell that somebody up there has been looking out for us for a long time. Uh, that's basically all I'm trying to say. We have had a very, very fortunate background family.
7: And, uh, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, as I said, I explained to you earlier, you know, how I was very inadequate initially.
8: Mm -hmm. The turn, you know, where, uh, you know,
7: I I draw, and this is something that's probably going to bother you a little bit, but I'm much more accepted by white people than I am black
0: people. Oh, I've seen it. (laughs) I've seen it. I've witnessed it.
7: And uh, for whatever reason, Blacks are reluctant to accept me. I mean, the way I talk and my, my thoughts and so forth. And, and, uh, but, uh, I mean, I have at this very moment, if, well, just as we were talking, this guy's a Greek guy. He was calling me from Denver. And uh, some of the controllers that I work with, they come here and they stay literally here in my apartment. They bring their families here. The guy that was in charge of the whole airport out here, it was, uh, they've changed the name, you know, the Las Vegas airport. Right. Brought his family over here to see me. He brought, I went on tour, you know, he took me all through the tower, you know, up there, the control tower. Nice. And he told some of the people that I knew him when he was a pup, when he was first starting. Wow. And, you know, he's in charge of the whole damn airport. He's brought his family over here, literally, to, to visit see.
1: me, you know. To see you. Yeah.
7: And uh, so, you know, like, I, uh, I've i had uh, yesterday a guy I bought a motorcycle from, he called me he, and he invited me out to his house for last for Christmas. And he had his mother-in-law and so forth and and no black people invited me any damn place. Mm-hmm. I was in Germany, you know, and having all these women, the base commander asked me, I brought Peter Lawford out to the base, I asked him would he go out to the base with me, and he did, and I have pictures of him uh, at the base with me, and when they, the commander and so forth came over, uh, they just kind of slided me out of the picture, well, he always said, hey, Richie, come back over here, and and anyway, they asked me to ask him to come out to a uh, talent contest they were having. And I asked him, and he said, sure, I'll go out. And so, uh, you know, everybody in, a, in the American community showed up for the talent, you know, because Vito Lawford, you know, he was pretty prominent movie star at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put a chair up in the front for the base commander and myself. Wow. And, and then, and anyway, they asked, um, they, uh, some of the commanders, because I was accepted, as I told you, by all these major nightclubs, uh, colonels, I was a sergeant, and colonels would come up and ask who I was and wanted to know, could they come out with me? And can you imagine a white colonel asking, can they go out, you know, because they knew I knew where these clubs was and then we'd be sitting and the girls
0: would come up and
7: ask me to dance it wasn't, they, they weren't girls <laughs> women yeah. and they ask me to dance and you know you can imagine a white man's ego but it was to that point where they would suppress their ego just the fact that I was in the you know in the uh, you know the, the status that I had you know they acceptance that I had but I was willing to go out all by myself man I mean it, initially it was Rough because everybody's watching everything that I did. And they have their little social order, like if you asked a gal to dance, you would always escort her back to her table. They would be sitting, you know, and if there were multiple women at the table, as an example, you asked one, you did not go to another one at the table and ask from one to one to one. So
8: you, <laughs> and, you know, and then you didn't impress people
7: by being a big spender. And you know, there was just a lot of little. And once, you know, they, you know, once they, my behavior, how you dressed, it was very, very rigid dress codes at that time. You had to have a tie on, and uh, you could tell a difference between an American and a uh, German because the German women had their hair all done and they wore much nicer clothes and so forth. But once, once I went through all that. And it just paid off, like, you know, unbelievable that heavens just opened up. And I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a womanizer. And uh,
0: <laughs>
7: just dropped on you, man. I mean, it could, you can't, I couldn't believe it. I
0: love you.
7: Let me get together again. I'll show you some of the I love pictures. It. I had, like, movie star quality. And you know, I had to be a nobody. And I mean, they were serious, man. I mean, they had this thing called and I'll let you go, because we've been talking a long time. They had what you call a paradoxical, paradoxical dance place. It was like six or 700 people, huge dance place. And they had a band and they would play like three songs and then they'd have a little break and then three songs. Well, the premise behind the thing was the women could, in good taste, ask the men to dance. That was the, nice. that was, and so they, they had figured out that things would be much smoother get together uh, socially, the women, you know, it was a singles place, and so the women could just feel comfortable selecting who they wanted to dance with. What? And so, it was with a novel experience for the women and for the men, you know, where the women would come over and ask you to dance, you
8: know? Mm-hmm.
7: And, but it was an education also, because I... You know, there were women that came over, man, and they were serious. I mean, you know, they're right on top of me, and uh, I can understand how a woman feels when a man approaches her that way.
0: Uncomfortable, know. huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they were like, some of them were very, very aggressive. And uh, But the fact
7: that, you know, it was a very nice feeling to have women come over and ask if they dance with you you know and, and uh, but then in the same token whoever got to you first you had to dance so if old man he got to you first <laughs> and there was a gorgeous gal
8: coming behind her you know you had to go out with the uh, with the first one you know i mean there was the etiquette oh, and, wow. uh,
7: but it was a it was a learning experience also just, that how women might feel when guys are just too aggressive you know
0: right nice
7: but it was, a, it was a really a good... They had a, a also a place where everybody had a telephone
8: at the table. Mm-hmm.
7: And you could... The table had a number. And you could see people at different tables and ring their number. Oh, wow. And they had a... I don't know if you've ever been in a department store where they had this pneumatic tube thing where you would buy something and they put it in a little tube and they could send it. Something up through the, you
0: know, they have these tubes in their roof. Yeah, I'm familiar with the, from the banks. When you go to the bank and they send those, yeah. You, that's yeah. the
7: whole principle. Well, you can send a message over uh-huh.
8: at table 21. You
0: oh, know wow. Know. Nice. And these tubes are going, this place I
8: they
7: had like 400 tables. And, you know, the things are just going back. at the and you put a, like a flag on your table, whatever country you were from, and Say you and I were sitting at a table and and, uh, then uh, this thing would drop out and we'd get a note from another table, you know, how are you, our country, you know, would you like to dance or whatever, but that was a hell of an experience also, you know, or you could call over and say, hi, you know, I'm I'm over at table 17 and I'm checking you out, you know, but I mean, that was just, you know, it was great, man. (laughs)
0: It's amazing. That's, you know, that's amazing life. And this is one of the main reasons Why I'm glad that we had a chance To get together and have this conversation
8: You can call me anytime
0: Okay, unc- I love you I appreciate you taking time out, man This is going to be an amazing story, man Definitely righty. okay All right. Bye-bye, have a good one Alright,
10: to oh, oh, love, love and It's coming the true and good. We know he's the beginning, and
2: we know he is in. There's no one that's better, we really need a friend. So don't you ever worry, cause he gave the guarantee that he'll return to take us
11: home and fulfill the prophecy. I know that I hate Said you would get ready for the
10: love and happiness. I don't think coming back. Just like you said he